0: hey welcome to the steamboat christian center podcast where our greatest goal is to love god and love people if you would like more information about our church please visit us on social media or at steamboat.church we're so glad you joined us today let's jump into this week's message Well, welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Uh, My name is Troy, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Christian Center. Glad that you joined us. Hey, before I jump into this, I want to just take a quick minute to give a shout-out to my friend Shally, uh, who delivered such a great little series these last couple weeks on having a childlike faith. And I I hope that that encouraged you and challenged you in your own walk. And I just want to thank Shally for doing that. But today, we are starting a brand-new series. Really excited about it. It It's called Stuck. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to try to answer the question, what do you do when there's nothing that you can do? You know, what do you do when you're stuck, right? When, when, what do you do when you can't move forward in life and, uh, and you can't go back to what was before? What do you do? I mean, a lot of us are in that place because of COVID. We're not able to really go forward and we're not able to get back to where we were before. And so we all kind of feel stuck, And uh, I think that if you're an adult, uh, you've probably discovered by now that there are problems, of course, that you can solve. But there are also some problems in life that are unsolvable. You've probably discovered that there are uh, tensions that you can manage, but there are also some tensions that are unmanageable. And uh, the reality is this, is that at some point in your life, uh, you're going to find yourself stuck in the middle of something that you don't want that you can't change. And what do you do? Well, uh, for some of us, it might be a, a relational situation. It might be relational. Maybe you're married, and uh, your marriage isn't all that great, and uh, but you don't want to get a divorce, and, and he doesn't want to get a divorce, and so, you know, neither one of you are really willing to change too much, and so it's just kind of, you're just kind of stuck. It is what it is. It's just the way it's going to be, you know. For some of us, it might be our kids, your kids, and maybe uh, your kids aren't really becoming the people that you'd kind of hope that they would become. You know, maybe they're making some really poor choices and some of their choices are hurting themselves or hurting others and hurting you and there's nothing that you can do about it. Or maybe it's a a financial situation. Maybe there's some financial goals that you have made for your life and it just doesn't look like it's gonna happen and it may not ever happen for you. What do you do? Or maybe, maybe professionally, Things haven't turned out the way you wanted them to. Maybe at some point you were bumped out of a promotion unfairly and you weren't able to get this position that you want and now you're just kind of stuck in this position and this is the way it's going to be moving forward. Or maybe, maybe it's a health issue. Maybe you're struggling uh, with an issue in your health and uh, you know, maybe you're not going to die from it, but uh, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's chronic and it's debilitating and, and, they, and, and they, can, they can treat it, but they can't cure it. What do you what do you do when you're in that situation? What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? Um, you know um, you can run <laughs> but you don't want to uh, leave your family behind you can uh, you can quit but you don't want to give up right uh, you can numb uh, yourself by taking some drugs or or you can drink yourself into oblivion but You know, that's just temporary. That's just going to cause more problems anyway. And so what do you do? What do you do? And here's the thing about it. Um, There's this internal battle that we begin to wrestle with when we're in these situations. We begin to get jealous of other people that are around us, right? We look at their perfect, wrinkle-free lives and we kind of wonder ourselves, you know, why, why can't that be me? Why, why can't that be me? Why, why isn't my life like that? And, and, and you know this, that whenever we begin to compare ourselves to others, it just causes us to get frustrated and angry and, and resentful. And and nowadays, especially because of social media, it's just, we're bombarded with it. I mean, back in the day, we used to have to only compare ourselves to our next door neighbors. Now, because of social media, we're comparing ourselves to the entire world, right? And uh, whenever we look at social media, it's like we're looking at everyone we know and everyone we don't know. And they're all living this life that we think that we should have been living. And it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. In fact, sometimes we even, you know, we run into some of our Christian friends, and, and they say things that are just stupid and it makes it worse for us, right? You know, you run into someone and they're like, oh, hey, did I tell you about how God answered a prayer for me recently? And you're like, really? Please tell me about it. I could use some encouragement. And they're like, yeah, um, I, I lost my keys. And you're like, you lost your keys. Yeah, I lost my keys and I couldn't find them and I looked all over and it was really horrible and so I said a prayer. I asked God to help me and uh, uh, all of a sudden my husband, uh, he came home early from work, which you know he does sometimes. He's, he's great like that. But he came home from work and when he opened the door, I could hear the jingling in the, with the door where I left my keys. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? And you just want to just punch him in the face. You're like, man, you don't even know what a real problem is. I mean, you wouldn't know a problem that came up and bit you in the face. Let me tell you about my life, right? You just feel this way. And then it gets really dark for us sometimes. I think that we, you know, we, we get in these seasons of life, we begin to believe some really bad lies about ourselves and about our situation. And we begin to uh, believe and draw some really uh, uh, bad conclusions about our lives. You know, we, we start to think to ourselves we're stuck, and we've been stuck for a while, and we, we start thinking to ourselves, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'll ever be happy again. You know, we're like, man, I'll, I'll never be happy ever again, and, and you just start to go, man, I wish I was back in middle school, you know. <laughs> I wish I was in freshman year in college, you know. I mean, that was awesome. My parents were paying for everything, and I was doing whatever I wanted. It was It was fun. It was awesome. I was happy, and now I'm not so happy, and I don't think I'll ever be happy again. We start kind of meditating on these thoughts. We, we have thoughts like we tell ourselves that nothing good can come from this situation. You know, we just kind of begin to think there's no way that this can ever be turned around. And you're out there right now and you're like, Pastor Troy, I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna tell me some silly little Bible story about how everything worked out in the end and everybody went to heaven and it was all good. But I don't wanna hear that. I don't wanna hear that because my situation is different. And I have decided, I've concluded that there is nothing good that can come out of this situation. Or maybe some of you are in this place right now, this this place of desperation. You're just kind kind of at the end. You're beginning to kind of look at your life and your situation. You're like, I don't know if there's any point in continuing and going on. You know, I don't even know, you know, if, if, there's no point in fighting for my marriage anymore, or, or there's no point in trying to pick up the pieces of my life after this COVID disaster and what it's done to my business. I, I, I just don't feel like trying anymore. I'm ready, I'm ready to get, give up. Man, I hear you. <laughs> and it's like I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to delve into this happy topic. It's a tough one. It's a it's a tough, tough subject. What do you do when you don't, when when there's nothing that you can do? What do you do in that kind of situation? Well, I want to just warn you that this little study we're going to do isn't going to be easy. It's not going to be a simple little... ABC thing for us and two plus two equals four and it's not going to be easy for any of us in fact as a pastor um, I spend uh, time uh, helping people and connecting with them and encouraging them and and I try to help people sometimes solve their problems and I'll meet with people from time to time and and usually go something like this I'll listen to them for about 10 15 20 minutes and at some point I'll interrupt them and say hey hey here's what I think you should do Right? And why do I do that? Because I'm a guy. I want to fix it. Right. I'm gonna jump in. I'm a fixer. I want to problem solve the situation. But every now and then I'll talk to somebody and I'll hear a story that is so heartbreaking and so um, I don't know, disappointing and, and devastating that I will look at that person and I will go, I'm sorry, I I don't know what you should do. I don't have a clue what you ought to do in this situation. And, and I don't ever want to be there. And sometimes people, they're needing something, and they'll look at me like, what? And, I'm, and I, I just don't know. But sometimes uh, the people that I find in that situation, they'll look at me and they'll say, that's okay. Because I understand there's no easy solution to this. There's no simple answer to this problem. And uh, it just feels good to be able to talk to somebody about it. And as I talk to these kind of folks who are in this situation um, something, uh, it's interesting. Something kind of comes up in my heart. Um, a common theme begins to appear when I've had these conversations. In fact, some of you who are listening to me right now, uh, you're, you're, you're thinking, Troy, I am in one of those places right now. I am stuck, and I've been stuck for a long time, and I don't know what to do. And I, listen, I want what, what I'm about to say, I have a feeling will resonate with your heart, okay? And that is this. I think that the big question that's at the center of your struggle when we're in this crisis, especially if you're a Christian, the big question is this. Where is God? Where is he? <laughs> right? And, and 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 does he even know what I'm going through? And if he knows, does he care? I mean, that's the question, and and I think that if you and I could just get a little bit of assurance that God somehow knows and God somehow cares, we'd feel a little bit better about our situation. I mean, that might just be enough, almost, right? That might just be enough to get us through, right? Here's the good news. (laughs) The good news is that the Bible gives us some insight into this. It gives us some encouragement, and that is this, is that when you and I are stuck in a bad situation and God is eerily quiet, <laughs> you know, he's silent, and we're like, where are you, man? What, what, what's going on when we're in that place? The answer is this. I want you to get this, and the answer is this, that we should never interpret God's silence as absence. We should never interpret God's silence His absence, Um, just because he's quiet doesn't mean that he's not present and that he doesn't care. Um, According to scripture, throughout the Bible, whenever his children were in a difficult situation, uh, whenever they were in a crisis, God was never absent and he was never apathetic and he was never angry. It may feel like he is, but he's not. It may feel like he's absent and apathetic and angry with you. And in fact, the reason I added that last one, that angry one, is because when I talk to people sometimes and they'll tell me, you know what, why is this happening to me? What have I done to make God so mad at me? I feel like he's punishing me, right? And the the reality is, is that God is not angry with you. And God is not apathetic. And he is not absent. Do not interpret God's silence for God's absence. Now, before we jump further into this, I just want to take a minute or two to poke at you a little bit <laughs> because you need to realize something about yourself. We need to realize something about ourselves and that is this, is that when we, are in, when we are stuck in a situation where everything seems hopeless, we often get upset because we can't sense or we can't feel God's presence in that circumstance, right? And, and here's the thing. There's a little hypocrisy in that. There's a little hypocrisy in that, in, that, uh, in that anger that we have. And here's why. Because I want to tell you something that I know about every single one of you. This is true for every single one of you. That there has been a day in your life. There has been a night in your life. There has been a weekend, a, a, a spring break, a business trip in your life when the presence of God was the furthest thing from your mind, when the last thing you wanted was God to be there. And you know that's true. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know about that one weekend or that one night when you went out, got into your car, and started driving into trouble on purpose, right? You know what I'm talking about. And I promise you, you weren't there thinking, God, where are you? You know, if I could just feel your presence right now, it would be wonderful. You weren't thinking that. It's amazing to me how when you and I don't want to feel God's presence, boy, you know what? We can literally shut him off like a switch. And you know that we do this and have done this hundreds of times in our life. And so it's weird. We get upset and we get frustrated when we do want to feel his presence, but for whatever reason, we can't. See, there's a little hypocrisy in that. And, 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 and in spite of all that, and, th- and this is the truth that I want to explore with you over these next few weeks, in spite of how we play that little game with God, I want you to know that your heavenly father loves you. He loves you desperately and passionately. And 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 the reason I can say that with such confidence is because of one of the most famous statements that's ever been made in history, much less the scriptures. John chapter three verse sixteen. You may know it. It says, "For God so loved the Christians that," wait a second, that's not right. Um, "For God so loved the good people that," that's not right either. No. John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world." that he loved everyone, that he gave his only son. You see, the reason I know that God isn't absent from your life and that he is not apathetic about your problems and he is not angry over your mistakes is because when God sent his son into this world to die on a cross for you and for me, he settled the question once and for all, that he loves us and that he cares for us more than you and I can ever imagine. That settles it. We know for a fact that he cares for us and he loves us and that he is with us. And so, even in those dark moments that uh, when you purposely tuned God out of your life, right? And you were like, God, I don't want you to be here. Here's the problem. God was there. God was present. And even in these dark moments when we're kind of, you know, hoping and desperately seeking the, the uh, God's presence in our life now and we need it and we don't think that he's here, God is present. He is with you. He is with you. Don't interpret God's silence for his absence. Now, here's the crazy thing. Um, if you're stuck right now, if you're in a situation uh, that doesn't look like it'll ever get better. You have one of those. You need to know that you're not the first one to find yourself in that position. You're not alone. Uh, There's a whole lot of folks. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some people in the Bible who were in the same uh, situation or maybe even worse circumstances than you, and we're going to learn from their experience. And these are people, I want you to understand, these are people that Jesus loved. These are people that Jesus cared for and that he, he, he knew them and yet he still kind of set them up to kind of go through the same thing that many of you are experiencing right now. I mean, they ask the same questions. They're like, God, where are you? Seriously, why, why do you even care about what I'm going, going through right now? Can you, can you give me a sign? Can you throw me a line? I mean, please just let me know that you're aware of what I'm going through here. In fact, today, I want to just take the remainder of our time very short and very quickly. I want to uh, show you and look at a person in the Bible whose story really, really illustrates how we feel when God seems to be silent and uncaring in the midst of our crisis. This, this, is, this is brilliant. And the person I want to talk to you about is John the Baptist. Now, that, that wasn't his name. That was a nickname. And in fact, he didn't get the nickname John the Baptist because he was a Baptist. That's not what it was about. He was a baptizer. He went around baptizing people, so they called him John the Baptist. And, and the thing is, is, I want you to understand that you really can't uh, understand or fully appreciate this story about his life unless uh, you uh, have a map of the Holy Land. And so in a second, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to first tell you the story, and I'm going to show you a map that totally illustrates this point that I'm trying to make. Okay, and so the story goes this way. One day Jesus was teaching some of his disciples up in Galilee. He was in the northern part of Israel. And all of a sudden a group of men show up and they're like, hey, we want to see Jesus if we can. And they come in and they introduce themselves. They're like, we are uh, John the Baptist's disciples. We are some of his disciples. And John sent us here to you to ask you, Jesus, this question. And, And this was the question. Are you really the Messiah? are you really the savior of the world? Because, because John really wants to know right now. Now, you might be asking the question, why didn't John come himself and ask the question? Well, the reason, if you know, is that John was in prison at this time. And he had been put in prison for kind of a funky reason. If you know the story, he was down there in the Jordan River. And he had been preaching down there. And people were coming down. He was telling everybody to repent. And he was calling out a bunch of sins. And he started calling out some sins of some local political leaders. A guy named Herod Antipas. Who was kind of the, the king over that area of, uh, of Israel. And he was calling out some of his junk. Now, it wasn't a secret. Everybody knew this. But he was kind of calling out saying this isn't right. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, By the way, Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great, who you probably know from the Christmas story who went and killed all those babies when Jesus was born. And so Herod Antipas had gotten divorced and he then remarried his sister-in-law. And so it was a little funky, man. I mean, this was a little incestuous, a little funky, even for those of you who are down in Texas right now. That this is a little weird. But, but for Jewish culture, this was really, really bad stuff. And so John had kind of called it out. And and Herod thought it was just funny. He thought it was hilarious. He thought John was hilarious and thought he was harmless. But his wife, Herodias, his new wife, did not like it at all. And so she had him arrested and she had him put in prison and uh, waiting execution. And and the thing is, is they didn't put him in a prison up in Jerusalem. They put him in a prison that was as far away from everyone as you could get. They put him in a prison way, way, way down south, kind of on the edge of the frontier. Machaerus was where this is. And, and, and they put him in this prison, and, and he was just sitting there, and he was rotten, and, and, and had to go through that situation, right? And and, and Machaerus was down by the Dead Sea, and so weeks go by, and then months go by, and then eventually a year, a year and a half goes by, and John is still stuck in this prison. And John begins to have some questions, he begins to have some doubts about Jesus, and so his disciples who come and visit him and bring him some food to help him survive. He asked them, go, go ask Jesus this question. Go ask Jesus because I got to know. Now, I want you to understand something. And here's the truth. You need to understand this. Jesus loved John the Baptist. He loved him. He, I mean, they were related. They were connected from birth okay? There were some incredibly supernatural things about that, but Jesus loved John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus later on said this about John the Baptist. This is what he said about John in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus said this. He said, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Man, that's that's pretty high praise coming from Jesus. That's a big statement. Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is one of the greatest people who has ever lived. I mean, that, that's a pretty big deal. That's what Jesus thought of John the Baptist. But uh, now, John the Baptist isn't sure what he thinks of Jesus because he's just been rotting in this prison. He doesn't understand what's going on. In fact, um, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. It says that when Jesus first heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison. When, when Jesus first heard that John had been in prison, it's interesting what he does. In fact, um, I'm just going to say this, that if I had wrote the Gospels, okay, and if I was just making this story up, like a lot of people say that the Gospel writers did, uh, I would have not put what he what Matthew is about to put next because it's not flattering towards Jesus okay the question is is what did Jesus do when he heard that John had been put in prison right I mean what did Jesus do when he first heard that his good friend his family member John the guy that he loved the guy that he thought was the greatest person who had ever been born was put in prison what did Jesus do well you would think that he would go to John he would go to where John was he'd go visit him or, or he'd go at least send him a care package, maybe, you know, maybe bake him a cake and send it to him, you know, maybe, maybe put a little file inside the cake so John could escape. You don't, you don't know what it is. Here's what, what Matthew says. When John heard, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and stayed in Capernaum. Now, that rest of that verse, I want you to get this, that it says, Matthew said that when John heard, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. He withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went and stayed in Capernaum. Now, when you are reading that, you might be going, okay, that's interesting, but you will not get this until you look at a map, okay, because it is disturbing, Here's here's the map okay this is nazareth and this is where jesus was this was his hometown and this is where he first heard that john was put in prison down in macarius Okay, this is the Jordan River and this is the Dead Sea and way out on the desert down there where it's just dead and low and nothing, you got Machaerus and this is where John the Baptist is, right? And so you would think when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that Jesus would go down to Macarius. He would go down south and see him and visit him, right? And, but, but, but Matthew says no. Matthew says that Jesus withdrew to Capernaum. Instead of going south, he went north. He went in the opposite direction of where John was. And this is, this is where you and I live. This is what we are dealing with, right? This is what we go through. This is how we feel. That when we're in trouble and we're put down and we're down south and we're down in the desert nothing's going on and we feel like God is headed the other direction, that he's headed north. And we're like, hello, <laughs> can, can you help me? Can you at least come and visit me? Can you at least let me know that you know where I'm at and that, and that, you're, you, that, you, that you care? Man, and here's the thing. It gets worse than that. Um, here's a picture of Machaerus, okay? I want you to see this. This is a picture of Machaerus. Uh, this, is a, this is a hill, and on top of this hill, Herod had built a fortress and a prison up on top of this hill. And, and so John was put in this, and I want you to see the view that John had from his little prison cell. This is pretty much what he looked at. Now, uh, uh, that's not horrible. I mean, if I guess if you got AC, air conditioning, that'd be okay, right? Well, here is a picture of Capernaum. <laughs> this is where Jesus went. Jesus went to the beach. While John was down south suffering in a prison cell in the desert, Jesus is sitting on a cabana on a beach in Galilee. <laughs> I'm telling you, this had to hurt. John uh, had been in prison for about a year and a half, and he hadn't heard a peep from Jesus. He had heard uh, uh, some rumors that, uh, that there were people that were being miraculously healed. He had heard that Jesus had been doing some miraculous things and that he had some incredible powers and, and was seeing that, and he'd heard about it. So John is starting to think, well, what about me, right? I mean, what about me? Do you remember me? Can you help me out? I mean, we grew up together, Jesus. We, you know, I, I, I paved the way for your ministry. In fact, I introduced you to the world. I mean, I mean, what about me? And I believe that John began to dwell on some thoughts. I'm sure his mind started to churn and he started to think to himself, you know what, I am never gonna get out of this prison. After being there for months and months, I'm never getting out of this place. I am never gonna be happy again. I am never gonna uh, be able to, nothing good is gonna out, ever come out of this. Why, why even bother continuing to hang in there? Why, what, what, what difference does it make, right? And finally, John has had enough and he calls uh, for his disciples who were, would occasionally visit him and bring him some food because that's the only way you would survive in prison is if your friends and family bought you food and, and he calls his disciples and he sends them up north. And they go north to Capernaum, and when they get there, they find Jesus sitting on a beach <laughs> in Capernaum. And, and they, they go, Man, we cannot tell John about this, man. He is already uh, discouraged so much. We can't tell him. And they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, John wants to know, <laughs> Are you the one? Are you the Savior? Should he be looking for someone else, another one? Because he's beginning to have some doubts about this right now. And it's fascinating. Jesus says this. He says, I want you to tell John that, yes, I am the one. In fact, I want you to tell him about all the things that I've been doing for everybody else. I want you to tell him about how the lame have begun to walk And that the blind have received their sight. I want you to tell him about how the captives are being set free. Not him, but others are being set free. Right? In fact, I want you to tell him about all the things that I've done for everybody else. And that he should keep on trusting in me. And this is our life. This is the rub that sometimes we find ourselves in because you know we're, we're we're sitting here thinking why isn't god doing for me what he's doing for them why isn't god healing my sickness why isn't god blessing my business or my finances why isn't god healing my marriage why am i stuck here The reason I, I bring this up is because sometimes when we're stuck down in Macaris, it feels like God is on vacation up in Capernaum. Like he's not even thinking about us. And then he doesn't know what we're going through. And he doesn't care about our situation. But the truth is, he does know about us. And he does care about us. This is often overlooked, Um, but after John's disciples left Jesus and went back to John, Jesus turned to his own disciples and he made this curious statement to him, to them. And it's something that I know that you've probably heard before, but I bet you've never really thought about it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this, blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. This is a powerful, powerful statement that we need to understand in this walk of faith that we have. This is is an admission of guilt by God. He's, He's admitting that sometimes he does some things that make no sense to you and I. And he said, blessed are those of you who don't stumble when I do that. Blessed are those who don't stumble because of me. Blessed is the one who does not interpret my silence As absence. Blessed is the one when I do certain things or I don't do certain things. Or when I don't answer certain prayers or I don't come through like they want. Blessed is the one who doesn't let those things affect their faith in my goodness and in my faithfulness. Blessed, check this out. Blessed is the one who believes in me and follows me in spite of me. Blessed is the one who trusts me even when it doesn't seem like I'm acting on their behalf, like John the Baptist, right? (sighs) Don't interpret God's silence as absence. Don't interpret God's absence as apathy. Jesus knew all about John and knew all about his situation. And I want you to know your Heavenly Father knows all about you and all about your situation. And He loves you and He cares for you, even if it doesn't feel like it right now. And even if things don't change tomorrow. <laughs> Now, I realize that this message um, isn't one of those, oh, wow, oh, goody, thank you, Pastor Troy. This is so good. I feel so good, man. I feel so much better. Uh, In fact, I don't even need to listen to the rest of the series because I got it. I'm all better. I can handle life now. Thank you very much. I get it. All I'm trying to do is create a category for those of you whose prayers have seemingly gone unanswered. Right? Who your and I want you to know that your unanswered prayer does not mean that God is uninterested in you, right? You need to understand this: that you and some of the finest people who have ever walked this planet, John the Baptist, you have something in common with them. And there is a category for those of you who feel abandoned, but have not been abandoned. There is a category, there is a blessing for people who feel that God is silent and still when he is not silent nor still. Blessed, blessed is he, blessed is she who does not stumble, who does not lose their faith on account Of me. This is what we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. And I hope you can join us.